if you're only doing it right, you're doing it wrong. If you're just delivering what the client asks, for example, or if you're actually completely on brief, I feel like in the long run, you're going to stay behind. Tom Fishburne once said that the best marketing doesn't feel like marketing. And taking this opportunity, I would like to paraphrase this quotation. So I'll say it another way. The truthful marketing doesn't feel like marketing, and that's what makes it the best. The true and genuine meaning, or better to say purpose of the words true and genuine in advertising leads us to the concept of authentic. What does it stand for? What's the good of it? And how to find the best approach for such subtle matter? So today, Marcus Lust, the Loop's executive CD and head of cultural strategy in Vice Media. Um, Glad to hold the talk today with you, Marcus. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you very much. for Interesting topic. Yeah. Alina Danielova also, my permanent co-host of our Sonic slash advertising researchers. Yeah, I'm on board too today. <laughs> Good. Okay. So you actually came from journalism to advertising. That's not a, like a kind of typical way to join marketing world. Is that no? Yeah, I think it's not, but it's becoming more and more of that. Like it's becoming a kind of like, not standard thing, but I feel like more and more advertisers are trying to get people on board that come from other kinds of businesses or categories or industries, yeah. especially communication wise, you know, and especially journalism, because they kind of like to be, as you said in the beginning on to that point of that quote, that are kind of like, giving a little bit or providing the outsider perspective a little bit more, you know, or challenging marketing standards a bit more. And I think you can do that if you're good at communicating or good in communications, but not really prone to fall into the same traps of marketing all over again, because you're not like used to do marketing, you know, like there's a, a downside and an upside to it because I actually don't know what I'm doing. And that's a good thing too, because like, you know, it's, it's not something that I've learned or I have not been in business school or I've not been in a marketing school or anything. Same with journalism, actually. I haven't learned journalism. I have studied film and media studies, so it actually kind of a different thing. But everything is connected to communication. So that's kind of where, yeah, it all ties back together, I feel. So was it a good start for you to educate yourself in such a soft skill? Because communication is not sort of thing that you specifically gain at uh, at the university on the classes called communication essentials and like communication 101, because I was studying at the journalism department of the Moscow State University as well. And it was kind of tricky because it was tough to get those soft skills without decent practice, because it's essential for you to grow up as not just like a technical guy who can type uh, as a typing machine or who knows uh, 15,000 words of his active vocabulary, like, you know. And what was your personal challenge in gaining the those essential communication skills that are actually great by any guy who works in the marketing and in advertising. Yeah. I mean, maybe the challenges coming in from a different kind of industry might be prevalent and might be all over the place. But there's also, like, as I said, you know, I feel like if you have fun at doing what you do, being communicating, writing, uh, uh, coming up with stories, something like that, I think it really 
doesn't matter that much how you do it or where you do it, you know? I mean, of course, there's a difference between crafting a TV spot and uh, crafting an article for an online medium or something. There's a difference. But in general, if you have fun coming up with new ways of communicating what you want to communicate, then you will find a way. Like preparing for today or like going through my notes from the past, I was again looking at, um, there's a video essay on uh, Steven Soderbergh. Like a lot of inspiration for me comes from, from movies, actually, you know? And because that's what I studied. That's what I love. That's what I watch the most. I feel like I don't watch advertising, you know, it's like I watch movies. Uh, so with Steven Soderbergh, there is this video essay that's actually, I think it's even the title of the video essay, but it's a great quote from him. And it's like, don't show me what I already know. Yeah. And it's not definitely. only showing, it's also telling and also yeah, providing audio that you already know. It's like Steven Soderbergh is like my favorite director of all time because he always finds a different way of telling a story. It's never the same. Like he doesn't have a style like David Lynch or David Cronenberg or something where you can say, okay, every movie is a, a Cronenberg movie. Every movie from Soderbergh is totally different. And I feel that's exactly kind of what I'm aspiring to do. You know, it's like the great thing is to always have a different approach and that can be your approach. So that's kind of what I guess I'm doing since I've been doing communications. You know, I've been writing books. Uh, I've been doing journalism and I've been doing like giving talks or lectures or anything like that also doing ads and yeah it's kind of like all those things kind of challenge you to always refresh your approach and your thinking and that's the cool thing it's about the approaches to telling stories actually not just about like communication how you manage to narrate uh, how you think about that how you structure all of that it's quite a complicated thing and we also in music think about that quite often because narrative that's the great part of our job too. I'll specify the question. I think the best way to deliver the message here is to ask if it's challenging for you to ensure that your approach that you find personal and suitable for you suits expectations or do you like do you care or don't you care? Because since we work at the edge of arts and marketing right. eventually, it's true. Yeah. So we have to face it. We have to deal with it. <laughs> and do you find it challenging to tie up with expectations or to deliver the right narrative, which you originally would love to deliver? You know, if you try to do things, I don't know, individually, differently, in every case, it's probably also challenging expectations on the other side. That's a bigger topic in our industry, I feel like. It's like, how much do we want to fulfill expectations even? And I keep saying that to everybody in my teams, I feel like, or to all the creatives, like, if you're only doing it right you're doing it wrong. If you're just delivering what the client asks, for example, or if you're actually completely on brief, I feel like like in the long run, you're going to stay behind. Because like, to be honest, like, you know, if you don't challenge the client, the client's probably going to go cold on you in a year or something. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, it's a nice project you did, but I don't have the feeling that you are proactive. I don't have the feeling that you're challenging us enough, you know. But at the same time, of course, you cannot do exactly the opposite of what the client asks. So it's like, it's a very fine line to walk between fulfilling expectations and not fulfilling expectations or maybe even overshooting the target at times, you know, actually going into different places and everything. The sweet spot is somewhere in between. So yes, sometimes it's 
hard, so to speak, to fulfill expectations, but that's also not a bad thing. You know, it's also a good thing to kind of like not only do what is asked. How do you make sure that you're telling your personal, your own story, but not someone's story? That's a tough one. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, also the question is probably also like, is that the goal? Because I feel, as you said, like we are like working on in a field that is like bringing together influences from art and different fields and marketing or and advertising. And it's like, I'm not even sure if it's always about my vision, you know? Yeah, it's a good point. It's not how I see it or how I approach it, even in journalism, you know, I was like, When I was the editor-in-chief at Vice here in, in the Alps region, I was like always trying to actually kind of get across everybody's vision. That's what you do as an editor-in-chief. It's not about like me, me, me. It's about like, okay, I will try to make you flourish, you know, like every kind of article needs to have like the specific voice of the person and I am the one who's amplifying it, you know. It's kind of the same now. There is, of course, different approaches. There is creative directors I feel like that are like in the end, when you present something to them, they're going, nah, I don't like this. Here's a better idea. Here's my idea. It's not like a person in charge approach, right? Exactly. It's not exactly. a, like a dictator yeah. of uh, Sasha Bonkoin. Yeah, exactly. It exists. Let's put it like that. You know, people are like that. But then there is people who are like, okay, I try to understand what you try to put across and I try to amplify it, you know? So I'm not even always communicating my vision unless we are talking about like on a bigger scale, like on a meta level, I feel like there might be like something like an approach that I try to infuse everything with. And, and it sounds very banal and very simple, but I feel it's, it's actually not. And it's like, just really be user-centric for once, you know? It's like, I know that everybody says it and everybody tries to be, yeah, it's all like on social media and so it's all about the users. But actually, most people that I know are either doing exactly what the client asks or they are doing exactly what they want to do as the agency or as the creative director. So, and then there is a target audience, you know? There's like, okay, media or the media department makes sure that the right target audience gets targeted with those ads. But I feel yeah, like the next level party. Yeah, yes, yes. But most of the time we are not really thinking about like, okay, if I am the user, if I'm just scrolling through Instagram, would I really watch that shit? You know, like most of the time, it's not something that we concern ourselves with and we should just be honest to yourself. Would you even consume that? Nobody cares if it's good marketing. It needs to be good. It needs to be good period, you know, not good marketing. If you're on Instagram and you have like, I can choose from all the content in the world, why would I watch that content? And it's not about like, why would I watch that specific ad? Because that's not how people think. It's not like I have time for 10 personal stories and 10 ads and 10 long form videos. It's more like I want to watch what's cool. Yeah. So that's important. To me, yeah. That's like really astonishing. Then you got me scared for a little bit because uh, I thought that, okay, I'm working, sometimes I'm working on my personal projects like a musician and sometimes I work on like ads uh, as a sound designer. And then I work on my personal project. I, quite often I ask myself like, would I listen to this? And like 90% of the time I say, yeah, that's cool. I would listen to this. But I recently like realized that I'm never thinking about that concerning the sound design for, yeah. for S. And this is re the yeah. really scary. Yeah. <laughs> But we can all change. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's actually a plus one because I just caught myself thinking it resonates so much with the approach that I'm trying to transfer these days. 
while working with audio projects. As a supervisor, as a music supervisor, I tend to deliver the message to the vendors, to my colleagues about the needs of like treating your material as you're watching it, as you're listening it yourself and listening to your own attitude to that. Would you, would, would you love to, would you prefer? And it can be a game-changing tactic for you because it makes you look completely one, 180 on the whole environment that you're working with, on the whole world. And it makes you so much more, relatively much more powerful in terms of creative processes, in terms of making decisions, making creative decisions, managing decisions, any kind of. And it resonates with me so much with what we just said. Could this being good be a benchmark for being true? Mm. <laughs> it's, it might sound a bit sophisticated, but I will try to simplify it. Can it, uh, this thing that you just said about being good without any further words, just being good, objectively, subjectively, we're not just talking about that, mm. being a measuring stick for truth in your own messages that you deliver or which you're striving to deliver? Actually, I feel maybe that's not the ultimate goal to be true, maybe true, yes, truthful, yes, but authentic. I'm really having a hard time sometimes to embrace that. Actually, in the past couple of weeks, I've been telling people on my team or people at Loop, whenever I read authentic in a presentation, I'm actually telling them, please get rid of it, please. Wow. Because it's like, it's bullshit sometimes, most of the times, because we are not like, we're not really being honest with ourselves when we use that word, because what mostly we mean by that is a certain style, you know? It has become a code for a certain style. When you say, okay, we need an approach that is authentic for this brand, what we sometimes mean is we have a very clear picture of this needs to have a shaky hand cam look. It needs to look like user-generated content. The audio needs to be unpolished and so on and so on and so on. And then I'm challenging you to ask yourself, like, is that really the only way of being authentic? Because like, for example, take drag, for example, you know, people in drag are very authentic when they wear drag. Yeah. They are not being the most authentic probably when they get out of bed and they just look rough and like unpolished and everything. Actually being polished and having like a showing your true self, that is being authentic. And that can look very different. You know, it can look polished. It can look unpolished, can look like an iPhone video, can look like a Hollywood movie. If we are actually really, really meaning authentic, sure. But most of the time, as I said, it has become like another word that we put out there, like marketing bullshit word that I feel like we shouldn't even touch so much upon because if you want to be good, what you have to get across is a certain vibe that people can buy into. Sure. That's quite interesting. And so, yes, truthfulness may be the word, but I'm having a hard time with authenticity, so to speak. It's turning into some kind of a cliche, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I feel like the same with, uh, I don't know, like again, coming to movies, but like Lars von Trier and all the Dogma 95 people, you know, like they had even their, that, that manifesto with the 10 rules, the 10 commandments of like, what is an authentic movie and a dogma movie and it's like only use original sound on set and never like any soundtrack blah 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 and then I feel like sure but actually what you're doing is you create an even more perfect illusion right 
Because it's not the truth. It's still a movie. People are still like filming something with a camera and people are still acting. I still behind the camera, yeah. yeah. It still has four walls and the, uh, the, the one wall is, has, has the camera crew. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. And I feel it's the same happening with advertisement now. Clients always say yes to authenticity because it means UGC. It means simpler productions. It means just iPhones. It means nothing is polished and so on. So, of course, that also means lesser budgets. And that, of course, means, yes, let's please be authentic. But they don't really want authenticity most of the time because that would mean, okay, people talk about stuff that's not brand safe and so on and so on, you know. I bumped into situations like these you just told me and uh, they're all pretty similar I'll be talking in terms of sound because that's the only thing that I actually understand more than anything else. And speaking of sounds, sometimes it comes to my mind that no one actually needs those hard to understand sonic structures. Like no one actually cares about what kind of modular synthesizer are you particularly using in this particular video for this client or for this work or for this movie. But it has to be good, as you said before. It doesn't have to be truthful. Maybe, maybe not, but still, the decision makers up there, like if we're talking about advertising, they actually look at the form, they can look at the concept, but they may not see these distinctive features which differ one from another, right? And it becomes a bit simpler to, for you to know that you can make something true, you can make something what's called authentic, but the only thing that actually matters in the end, if we're talking about making content, which is not true by definition, yeah, yeah? It, it comes to my mind that the thing that matters here the most is the way that you describe it, the way you sell it, the way you offer it. And that what might relate so much to journalism, where you are taught to find the best variant, the best version of a description, actually. Totally. You know, maybe the client or like person in charge of saying yes or no to something that you did doesn't understand every sound effect you did or which synthesizer you used and everything. Should he actually, should he? he? Probably, yeah, probably should. But then again, like most of the time, the person in charge is not an, an expert in all aspects of the product, but rather like a marketing guy or something. Yeah, undoubtedly, of course. He or she is not oblique to it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I totally feel it's always important because the specifics make the difference, Right. Actually, everything makes the difference. You know, everything you do makes a difference. It's like, it's not just about, okay, we need some kind of rain effect here. It's important which kind or how the rain sounds here. It's not just interchangeable because it makes a difference. It gives you a different feeling. And I feel you don't even have to be an expert. It's really more on a subliminal level. That Subconscious you, level, yeah, yes, exactly. yes. You kind of realize... Is that something that I have heard 10,000 times before or is it something new, for example? You know, that's all that humans do basically on a very basal level. Again, like the only thing that we do is like we compare patterns with each other. That's what we do, like in nature and everything. It's like we always look for something that doesn't fit something that stands out because that's a survival thing, you know, like probably when you were in nature and it's like everything is green around you and you spot something that is not green, that probably means this is an animal and it's about to kill you. So you look for exceptions from the pattern and all those exceptions are interesting. The pattern is never interesting. The exception is interesting. I always try also to make that point of the generic stuff is the worst stuff. If you don't care about the details, if you just do it the same way as it's always been done, 
your brain or the brains of the users, they just won't register it. It's, you know, they don't care. And the brains of the marketing guy in charge also won't care. So I feel everything is important, even if the person doesn't really understand it consciously, you know? Okay, let's take a step back. What's authenticity means just personally for you in the context of media or communication, like in sound particularly, right? Is it cultural underground or left field music, ethnic music groups, collectives, or something else? Because I guess that many of our listeners sometimes get stuck by just choosing the right definition of this word. As we did, uh, Jan, then we discussed the theme for, for this episode, because uh, I should mention that we've discussed with Jan previously about half an hour, what authenticity means for us. Yeah. And we didn't find an answer. <laughs> I think it's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to find an answer. Coming back to the examples from before, I would say if it's sincere, then it's that's what I'm looking for, you know? So... If I'm doing a video that is featuring something, somebody from the underground, then I should feature that person in a sincere way where I actually show the underground and I give the underground a room, so to speak, to breathe and everything. On the other hand, if I'm doing a video with a CEO, because it's like a, a corporate video that's actually supposed to go on LinkedIn, then it wouldn't make sense to make it look like an underground video. And it also wouldn't make sense to have it uh, look like something from MTV from the 90s or something. It, it makes sense to give it a touch that is truthful to that person or to the company. So to me, authenticity probably starts with listening, you know, starts with really understanding What is the sincere and real approach from a certain person or from a certain topic and then find the best expression to it? While you were talking, I was actually trying to define to myself the word sincerity and maybe to find its origin. Because when I have some spare time, <laughs> it's like, it doesn't happen quite often, but sometimes I love spending time just deconstructing those things and trying to find the theoretical basis upon the things that we sometimes see as subconscious, as subliminal. Could there be any theoretical basis upon the thing that we actually call sincerity in our casual life? Maybe some, even some maths behind the word sincerity. Um, I have a hypothesis yeah, about that uh, in terms of neuroscience. I think if we can get to conduct a study, maybe turn people and scan these neurons that uh, providing us with empathy, you know, the concept then we all have some neurons that like turning up when we see someone who acting like us or maybe feeling something. Right. That we feel, yeah. maybe we could define the amount of sincerity. I think the key to understanding this actually lies in your sincerity to yourself, because yeah. I have a theory. If you make decisions accordingly to your feeling of honesty with yourself, you subconsciously choose the algorithm that makes you do it the most genuine way you can. And you just follow your intuition and... Maybe it could be the key to understand the honesty in the context of making content, of working with media, with working with anything that we can deliver as a message, maybe. I feel like there is um, not like from, from a mathematical point of view, because I wouldn't know, but from a cultural or even like academic point of view, there is like a, not definition, but there is definitely 
something to be said about sincerity. I, I think it was David Foster Wallace who started it all. There is a movement actually since, I don't know, like the last almost 20 years uh, that is kind of like a big thing and it's called new sincerity. And the thing about new sincerity is kind of what you said, Alina, in, before in terms of empathy and so on. Like it's it's all about being like caring, you know, not being ironic, not being sarcastic, not being cynical. And that is the big thing I feel because if you're sincere about something, most of the time, that also means you have like a constructive, a positive view on something, you know? Irony and and sarcasm and cynicism is actually what happens before you start being sincere, you know? It's like whenever you don't have an answer yet, whenever you try to get rid of a topic, whenever you don't like something, then it's like, ah, yeah, I don't, yeah, this is bullshit and whatever. And that is also a cultural thing, you know? Like if you read into new sincerity, it really shows that before new sincerity, there was postmodernism, like Simpsons, South Park, Family Guy, all those things, you know, they were all about being smarter, about being tongue in cheek, about knowing it better. And then new sincerity came and it's more about like, yeah, maybe the world is shit, but what are we going to do about it? So let's not just be cynical. Like what's, what's the next step? And let's put ourselves out there. Let's be honest. Let's be empathetic. Like it's almost like if you go to a nightclub, it's like the postmodern approach would be standing on the sidelines and just watching all the other people dance and making fun of them. You know, it's like, ah. Just like in that old meme uh, yeah. when, when everyone is partying and the guy is standing on, in the court and just says, they still don't yeah, know that I'm going to that you are better than them. Exactly, yeah. That's the postmodern approach in a meme in a nutshell, yeah. And then there is like a new sincerity would be, or even a, a generally speaking, a sincere approach would be, you just go out there on the dance floor. You just have fun. You just be yourself. You just connect with people. It is about that. It's about be getting involved. It's about being honest. Uh, it takes a lot of courage. Yeah, as you said, Jan, to yourself and like expressing yourself truthfully. And as you said, Alina, it's about being empathetic to others. So that's like sincerity to me. And that's way more than being authentic in a way because it's always focusing on the expression part. You know, it's just like, how do I look? How do I present myself? So it's actually, I feel the sincerity approach is the more wholesome one and also the more complete one in terms of society. During, I don't know, the last decades, maybe, I don't know if it's about the acceptance of the inevitable, but okay, just about the acceptance. We say, we say, okay, we are who we are. You, you threw a very great phrase, like, what can we do about that? It's actually the, this kind of philosophy in a nutshell. Thank you very much for this phrase. Could it be a response on those short times of us being not sincere, like not really 100% true after the times of building up those whole artificial world of artificial flavors, artificial experiences, I don't know, artificial images of ourselves. And artificial brand messages. Yeah, can it be a response to a previous part of, of our cultural, uh, how to say, yeah, cultural path? Yes, yes, that's true. I mean, people are getting fed up with stuff that's artificial, for sure. But, you know, I'm not a hippie. I'm not trying to make a point of like, we need to go back to nature or anything. That's not the thing. I feel like uh, uh, there, there is truthfulness and sincerity in culture and so on. Like, as I said about postmodern or postmodernist culture, it was always like lacking that last step 
it was never giving us any answers. It was always just posing a problem. And that's also valuable. The whole culture in the 80s, in the 90s, in the in the arts, they were all about that. Yeah. You know, I feel like in the end, people were probably like saying or feeling maybe that is very much up our own ass or it's too much self-reflection all the time, you know? Like, I mean, of course, it resulted in some great TV shows. It resulted in some great cultural products in general. But overall, it really didn't serve us well as a society. You can see it if you actually look at our generation, I feel, at least my generation, it's like the older millennials or even before that, like, yeah, Gen X and all those people there, like, it's... The humor that they have is still kind of stuck on that, you know, making fun about others. It's almost, it's borderline bullying and they feel, ah, it's totally fine because like that's how culture was when they grew up or when we grew up, you know. I feel it's worth challenging. Yeah, and I, I was just wanting to add something to that, that now I see a lot of like reels on Instagram that the feminist activists that say, okay, uh, why do we have such... I don't know, pressure that the body image or why do we have this pressure that like feminine visuality? And then you see like a lot of ads from the, the beginning of the century with big eyelashes and pretty girls, the skinniest yes. and only one body type. And you're like, oh God. So we, we all watched that for like 20 years or 30 years. And it like just so ruined us all after all, really. So yeah, it's also about the sincerity of like, was it? Definitely not. <laughs> I started thinking of typical th kinds of such response in audio or in sound. And the closest thing I could think of that I could refer to is the sound culture of modern so social media content. Like all these, all these uh, ear rapes and bass boost decisions. And initially I used to think that it's just an, a, a way for people to try to expand the, the technical boundaries of the social media, technical means and so on. But while speaking to you guys, I'm trying to understand that that's actually much more than that. It's, it's more about people trying to find new means to express themselves. Like, you know, the zero decibel threshold that we have for digital audio is not actually, it's not sufficient anymore. And people try to push it furthermore to express the uh, true emotions, express the true attitudes. I think this uh, basically, maybe it's one of the postmodernism essentials, actually, trying to make it much larger than life, not just 110%, but maybe 5,000%. 5, And maybe it could be such type of a response, which I was previously just uh, talking about. Yeah, on social media, you can see it's about more about self-expression, about uh, connecting to each other again. Like, again, like that whole sincerity approach and, and empathy approach. I feel like when you have something like trending sounds, for example, I feel that is like, on the one hand side, you could say like, maybe it's uncreative to just maybe steal and just take the sound of somebody else. But it's a shared experience, you know, to kind of like use the sound of somebody else and then give it your own gist. It's like everybody's taking everybody else's idea and then giving their own interpretation on it. That's probably what you want, right? You want somebody to actually engage with your culture or with your product. You know, that's the best thing that can happen. You know, you want somebody to actually take it, 
integrated in their lives and then doing something new with it. It's the best thing. But it's actually more about it's still being just uh, a, a representative of your own culture to, for the others rather than just listening to the others and uh, trying to gain something from them. Don't you think that could be a, a, another essential part of this new sincerity culture? Sure, sure. Of course, there is like always that danger of like being in your own echo chamber or just like taking stuff and just reinforcing stuff all the time. But then again, we don't really know a lot about the algorithms that kind of dictate our lives. There is this term of like digital feudalism. And I totally agree. Sometimes it feels like the medieval ages. In the medieval ages, it was like, oh, the king says this today and if he says something else tomorrow and it's like, okay, I will just do it then. It feels like that on social media sometimes. It's like, oh, the algorithm is like saying video is the new thing or looped videos are the new thing or whatever it is, you know, or trending sounds are the new thing. And we just say, okay, then it's like that for a couple of weeks or months. And then there is something new happening. So we are really... Like threats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it feels like we are not really in charge of our lives. At the same time, we are a lot in charge because we can select what we want to watch and what we don't want to watch. To me, at least, it feels there is no big danger in being too much in the own echo chamber. Because for me, for example, I always see stuff that I don't like because that's the Facebook or the meta algorithm as well. You know, somebody summed it up as angry people click. What you want is not show people what they like, but show them what they hate, you know? So I constantly see stuff that I don't agree with. It's not good per se, because if your whole life is just about like, okay, I, I, I'm hateful all the time, that's not good. But the good thing is I get challenged a lot. There is no uniform um, echo chamber. I guess it's also good for having a healthy optic. Okay, an echo chamber is not, not a 100% bad thing, actually. But if you live out your life just with uh, just with good strawberry avocado smoothies, which I love <laughs> strawberry avocado smoothies. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, me too. Okay. okay, but just to keep yourself toned, to keep yourself stimulated, and to keep your own optic clear. So, okay, yeah, fe feudalism. And we're, yeah. and we're all vessels here. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And that's also the fault of advertising and marketing that we have, and, and capitalism in general, like that we have created the illusion of the individual being in charge. You are the consumer, you know, that the client is the king or the consumer is the king. I think it was never true and will never will be true. We are still like yeah. one in a million or one in seven billion, whatever. Yeah, you know, we are just a part of what, something big. And we can see it like whenever, I feel like whenever we not watch a nature documentary on some other species, it's totally clear for us. It's like, okay, it's not about the individual cow. It's not about that individual lion. It's about like everything is kind of interconnected and so on. But when we're talking about humans, it's always like, nah, this is like, it's about my thoughts and I am the great thinker and everything. Yeah, yeah. It's probably not like that, you know? I have to be frank with you. I had a row of questions, but after such great conversation, they're actually no longer relevant. <laughs> Really? That's a good thing, I guess. I'm not sure. <laughs> like, I got the question, how do you envision the future of audio in advertising, especially in the pursuit of more... Oh, thanks, God. Authentic and honest brand messaging. Personally, I have a really clear picture about how could we envision the future of audio in advertising. The only future of audio in, in context like that is... Just getting it louder and just getting it about, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm translating my own vision. I'm translating my message. Guys, hear me out. Hear me out. Yeah, totally. Also, like as in music, you know, the important part about music is like the blank spaces in between. 
If you don't have blank spaces, then it's just noise, you know? I think it's it's that in a lot of ways, you know? You have to be selective about what you say, what you don't say, what you show, what you don't show, what you make people listen to and what you leave out. But it could be also silence. Or what stays silent, yes. Why not? I totally agree. I feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm wearing the T-shirt of uh, Daniel Johnston now. He's also like one of the most sincere probably artists that there ever was because like he actually made music that really isn't beautiful it is beautiful but it's not polished you know he also had like a lot of mental issues and when he recorded his first couple of albums there is this famous story that he actually he did it on a fisher price thing like a, a kids uh, a recorder you know and he recorded one tape And then he recorded the next tape and then the next tape. So it wasn't like he didn't duplicate his album a thousand times. He recorded it individually for all 500 people that he handed it out to. So that's like the most insane, but also the most authentic thing that you can do with music, I feel like. yeah. In capitalist terms, it's stupid, but like in cultural terms, it's really great. You know? How would you describe the late capitalism or post-capitalism, referring to the context of today, of 2023, and your personal background, your working background, how would you refer to it? Yeah, it's still very much here. It's I feel like there is no post-capitalism yet. It's, it would be great, but <laughs> it's not there yet. The big thing, and it's always been the big thing about capitalism, is that it tries to include everything, also its opponents, right? Like you also have anti-capitalist movements as part of capitalism because capitalism doesn't care. You know, it's like, oh, you like communism? We are going to sell you communism. Here's uh, uh, Che Guevara. Here's like whatever. You it's know? a game of opportunities, actually. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. also what democracy is about to a certain degree. You know, like in a parliament, it's the same thing. You have an opinion and then there is a different party with a different opinion and they're almost trying to circumvent that there is anything outside. Capitalism doesn't want anything outside of capitalism. You know, it swallows everything. That's interesting in terms of culture, because like the Barbie movie, for example, you know, like it's a comment on capitalism. It's a comment on feminism and so on. But also it is capitalism, of course, because it makes a lot of money and it's about a fucking doll that's selling to people, you know, like, so it's that that's capitalism in a nutshell. And that's also the tough thing. I feel like it's, it almost can't be destroyed because of that. How to influential facts. Exactly. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. It always tries to incorporate you. You can do a YouTube video on why you hate capitalism and you can sell ads uh, with that and you can make money with that. And it's like, everything is capitalism. And that's a really tough thing. And um, our society doesn't have an answer, I feel like, because it still works. If it ever goes away, then it will just go away because something from the outside happens. Can be a pandemic or can be like a big catastrophe or something like that, but it will never go away from us trying to modernize capitalism or like change it because it doesn't allow change, you know? There is a myth or a narrative about like, Capitalism actually is a good thing because it always strives for improvement and for change and everything gets new. But I don't believe it's true. Like if you really look at a lot of Western culture, it doesn't look into innovation that much. It looks into patterns again, like how can I repeat something and make it safe? Yeah. For example, if you're Netflix or whatever, like if you're a, a content producing business, you want to be safe about that next production that you put out there. You want to make sure that you make money on that. So you say, let's make something like The Simpsons or let's make something like 
this and that. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's almost like immune. And that's understandable because it's walking. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Actually, that was the point I wanted to turn your attention on when you were talking about the green world and, and the blue thing inside this green world. And when you notice it, when you say, oh, that's interesting. But on the opposite side, there could be also someone who says, okay, that, that stands out of the pattern. Totally. And that's the thing why I feel like disparity is the problem because, again, our brains don't work like that, but our businesses work like that. Businesses try to make everything about patterns. And our brains want the exception from those patterns. They want anything that deviates from the patterns. Actually, that's why I feel like most of the stuff that's released in terms of culture doesn't really get that much attention. It's kind of irrelevant because it's just a pattern. That's exactly the problem. Maybe it's not just a problem. Maybe it's another challenge for us to bring the businesses closer to our natural behavior, to this sincerity that we're trying to translate outside. Yeah. I mean, it's always great when we can make it happen. I feel like it's a lot of work sometimes. A lot of clients, it might be a general thing. It's like, of course, they're very risk averse. You know, they try to circumvent risk. So whenever you sell an idea to them, it's like, can you make sure or can you prove upfront that it will work? And then you are again in the pattern uh, repeating a, a game because it's like, I cannot prove it if it's really a new idea. I can say, okay, you want something like Nike did with that big spot, then sure. But then we would just be copying Nike. And to think why it worked for Nike is because they didn't copy anything, you know? Yeah, it's based actually on Nike's success. If actually, if Nike didn't succeed, it wouldn't be a reason to refer to them, but it wouldn't make Nike's content worse, actually. Yeah, yeah. I believe that somehow it will, it will triumph because lately I'm starting to get more and more feedback on things like, oh, you've been so sincere or you've been so truthful on that call that we managed to organize to discuss our brief, to discuss our iterations, discuss our client-based feedback on the project. And I've started to get more and more kind of like the comments. And it gives me hope that nothing is actually lost for for us to be honest and to be clear with anyone we work with. Totally. I, I also feel it's very important. There is this feeling of, oh my God, to look professional, we always have to outperform and then we have to be the first with the answer and you have to be so sharp and everything. It's like, yeah, but if I'm the client and I always get like sharp answers in a millisecond, it's like, you're probably telling me some marketing bullshit now or something because like my literature teacher in school once said, only stupid people have an answer to everything, a fast answer to everything or a simple answer to everything because reality isn't like that. So sometimes I feel it's totally okay to just say, well, I have to get back to you with that. I don't know yet or I cannot give you a qualified answer now. There is clients who really appreciate it when you are like that. My last question for today, what's your latest inspiration? Um, hmm, probably wrestling. It's always wrestling, actually. Wow. That's the answer to everything. <laughs> You're a wrestling I, fan, I right? It. I've seen your yeah. Twitter, a lot of tweets about wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also wrote my master thesis on professional wrestling. And I, you know, I'm a really big fan. I get a lot of inspiration from there because it's very erratic. Wrestling is everything. Wrestling can be fun. It can be serious. It can be... Uh, completely absurd. It can be really athletic. It can be anything, you know? It's really a big theater or like a big play that's going on, like society, like humankind. It's like a big, big thing. And it's like the basic formula is really simple. 
and it's always like two people or I don't know, four people or something fighting. But actually from that simple formula and a couple of moves that they do, they always create so much new and they're so imaginative. It's crazy. And uh, you wouldn't believe actually that after hundreds of years of that thing existing, you can still come up with something new every week and they still do. That's very inspirational because it's, it is always challenging itself. The, the best wrestling is when they give a voice to the singular athletes. Like every wrestler brings a little bit of their own brain to the whole big formula. I just love it. Everybody should watch a little bit more wrestling. You're so passionate about it. Yeah. That's really <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. Marcus, my sincere gratitude for you having come to us. Yeah. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you very much for your time, guys. Yeah, thank you, Jan. Tune in. Marcus lost Stalin Danilova. Jan Pavelchuk is waving his right hand right now. <laughs> Tune in. See you later. Yeah, see you. Have a great time. <laughs>